Ah, uh, thank you for that, church. It is so fun to be back with you guys today. If I don't know you, again, my name is Jason, and I've worked here for 12 of my 24 years as a pastor, and so glad to be back with you this morning. Pastor Rob and I are really doing a pulpit swap today. He is out at the Garden Fellowship, and I am blessed to be here. And the reason we're doing that, at least today, is, you know, I was sharing with him that As some of you know, my wife is going through this um, autoimmune disease that she's battling, and one of the effects of that is she is really seriously allergic to desert regions. Well, that's where I have my church at, so that makes it very hard for her to be there and be at church, and I was telling Pastor Rob how one of the things I miss greatly, though, you know, we live here and I I commute now out to the desert, Uh, the reality is what I miss is seeing my wife in the congregation, which I'm teaching for 23 years. She was at everything I ever did, from youth ministry to being here at at Vista in the main sanctuary. And so Rob said, I got an idea. Let's switch pulpits, and then she can sit there for that, that, that New Year's morning. So thank you, Pastor Rob, and thank you, church, for allowing that to happen today and enduring me this, this Sunday morning. We'll get through it and be okay. But uh, if you have a Bible, would you open up to Romans chapter 12? And I know, I know you're going through the book of Acts, and here comes some random guest speaker having you open up to some random place, but... You know, Romans isn't that random. You know what this book is about. But if you have found your way to Romans 12, would you do me a favor? If you're physically able, would you stand with me as I read God's word and we we honor it together as we stand before it. But Romans chapter 12, Paul the apostle is writing and he says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, as we take a few minutes together to go through your word this morning, It is my prayer that you would be our teacher. We pray for Pastor Rob as he's teaching out the garden that you'd bless him and use him as you do so faithfully here just to bless those precious people out there today. And Lord, we pray that we would be blessed, that we would hear your voice, that you would speak into our hearts and lives. And so Lord, we just bow ourselves before you today and we need you to speak to us. And we pray that together in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about biblical commitment. Because as we sit here on New Year's Eve today, we are in high commitment season. Amen. It is time for our New Year's resolutions, enough eating bad, enough laying around all day. Tomorrow is a brand new start, amen? At least for five or six days before we give it up. We are so excited next week to start our New Year's resolutions. But can I ask you, how 
how you doing with the commitments you made 12 months ago? How you doing with those? Are you staying faithful to those? Are you falling by the wayside? I'll, I have to admit to you, I have been super faithful to my New Year's resolution last year because last year on New Year's Eve, I committed every day, no matter how I feel, no matter what I've been going through, no matter ups and downs, I committed, I promised to have a donut every single day in 2023. And I am 364 donuts in and excited to finish the year after our service today and get one more donut. Just kidding, just kidding. That's not my real commitment. But the reason we have problem with real commitments of getting in shape, going to the gym, eating better, is though it is very human nature to want to do better with our lives, it is equally human nature to bring Break those things that are hard for us to do. So today I don't want to talk to you about eating better or losing weight or working out in the gym, but I do want us to have a discussion this morning about biblical commitment. Because as we start a new year together, really as Christians, what should be on our heart is, God, what do you have for me in the next 12 months? What are you desiring for me as a follower of you as we go into a new year together? God, what do you want to accomplish? And we have before us in a very familiar passage here in Romans chapter 12, we have Paul the Apostle sharing with us what I think is God's heart for us at all times But I think especially as we head into a new year together, we want to see what biblical commitment looks like. And if you're taking notes this morning, I want us to notice as we go through just these two verses, I want us to see, first of all, the basis for commitment. What is the foundation of our commitment? Then I want us to look at the commitment itself, what God is calling us to, the characteristics of those commitment, what are we supposed to do And then finally, the results or the why of the commitment. And so look at those one at a time. If you direct your attention to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we see the basis for our commitment. When Paul the Apostle says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Paul starts this by using this old term. He says, I beseech you. It's a term that means to beg. It means to counsel. Paul is begging them. He's counseling them to please be committed to God. But before we go any further, we need to see the basis for this commitment. Because as you and I know, the foundation of something, especially the foundation of a commitment we commit ourselves to, the foundation is So important. You know, last Sunday, New Year's Eve, the church I pastor, the Garden Fellowship, we celebrated two years in our brand new facility. Christmas Eve was our first service in that new facility two years ago. So it wasn't that long ago when I remember driving by the property and seeing nothing. And what made that worse is I know, because I was signing the checks, we had already spent $4 million dollars. We had already spent $4 million and I couldn't see anything to show for it. There was nothing. There were no walls. There was no parking lot. There was no driveway. There wasn't any grass or a shrub. And when I got out of my car, I could see what we had spent $4 million on. And that was the foundation. 
the foundation of this, this giant building that we were building and not just the concrete foundation, but getting water to that facility, getting electricity to that facility, getting the sewage out of that facility. God bless you, praise the Lord. We needed the stuff under the building before we could ever set up a wall, before we could ever have fancy chairs and lights and all the things that you guys enjoy. We needed a firm foundation. And I think the same thing is true as we commit ourselves to God, as we say, God, I just want to be more of yours in this next year we're going into where we have to start is what is the foundation of that commitment? And Paul tells us here, he says, therefore, by the mercies of God, the mercies of God, Paul says, therefore, and I know you're a well-taught congregation because I sat in this congregation for 12 years. But I know you know that when you see a therefore in the scripture, it's good to realize what it's there for. And as Paul says, therefore, to open up Romans 12, verse 1, he's wanting to draw your attention back to everything he's already said in the book of Romans. And I know I just dropped you randomly here. But this is the book of Romans. I didn't have you open up to Zephaniah. Most of you are familiar with what Romans is about, that the first five chapters, God brings us before his courthouse. In the courthouse, he tells us that we are guilty before God, that we are sinners, desperately in need of a savior, and that savior's name is Jesus. Amen? He has saved us from our sins. And then he goes on in chapter 6, 7, 8 to tell us, not only has he saved us, but he's given us power. He's given us power over sin and power to, to do what God has called us to do. Power over the law. Power over condemnation. Power over frustration and desperation and separation. He has given us power to our Christian lives. And then... He says in chapters 9, 10, and 11 that he's going to be faithful to us because he's faithful to the nation of Israel. Even though they have had seasons of being not faithful to him, he has remained faithful to his people because that is what Jesus does. Amen? He is faithful even when we are faithless. What God is wanting you to know as we go into this new year tomorrow, yes, he wants us to be committed to him, but the foundation is so important and the foundation is Jesus is radically in love with you. Jesus is radically committed to you, even in your failures, even in your shortcomings, even in all of your broken resolutions from 2023, God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? And even if they are, who cares? Because God is for you, friends. Our foundation that we base our commitment on is the love that God simply has for us. And that's so powerful. Because if it's anything else, it's, it's conditional. You know, if I, if I say to my wife, I love you because, well, that sounds sweet, because, tell me the reasons. But no matter what reason I mention, there's got to be an ounce of insecurity if I say, I love you because you're beautiful, and she is. I love you because you make amazing food that I love to eat. 
I love you because you pick out outfits for me that match my shirt with my shoes. I couldn't do that on my own. Anything I say, there's got to be a part of her heart that says, well, what, what, what if I can't do that anymore? What if, what if somehow I'm not pretty in some future season in my life? What if, what if I can't cook anymore? Or you can't taste anymore. Like, when's that going to happen? And what if you just refuse to put on the shirts I pick for you? Like, <laughs> like what, what, what if that changes? Does your love for me then change? But if I'm able to communicate to her, I love you just because I do. Just because I'm committed to you and you're committed to me and I feel so lucky to be your husband. Well, that frees her to be everything God has created her to be in every season of her life because my love isn't conditional. It's a choice. And God is saying to you this morning, I know for sure, no matter what's going on with your spouse or lack thereof, God is saying to you, I'm committed to you by choice. I love you just because I do. I'm committed to you because that's who I am. It's not based on your performance. It's not what you bring to the table. I am just committed to you because that is who I am. Well, that's a firm foundation for us to move forward on. Paul says, I beseech you because of the mercies of God. And then he gets to the commitment himself. Number two, the commitment itself. He tells them, present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Church, we have to see there is a call to commitment. Yes, it's based on the fact that God loves you and simply wants to bless you. But nonetheless, there is a call to commitment. But notice what Paul is begging them to do. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, here's what I want. That you make sure 2024 is the year you finally finish reading the whole Bible. Well, listen, reading the whole Bible is an amazing thing. My wife is about to start her 20th journey through the one-year Bible. I'm a few years behind her. But, you know, praise God. Man, the growth, the maturity that happens as we daily open up this book. There's nothing wrong with reading the Bible, but did you notice that's not what Paul said? Paul didn't say, I beg you, I beg you, read the Bible every day. He didn't say, I beg you, I beg you. You have to lead five people to Jesus in 2024. You better get started tomorrow. It's a long year. Get started with one person tomorrow. You can find them. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I promise, my, my, I beg you, pray five times a day. The Muslims do it. Why can't you? It's a great question, by the way. But... That's not what Paul said either. Paul said, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you would be a living sacrifice. What he is begging you and I to be is a sacrifice. Now, think about that for a second. What exactly does a sacrifice do? It dies. It accomplishes no great thing. It does no great task. A sacrifice dies. That's it. Now, don't misunderstand me, precious church. In no way is God or Pastor Jason, don't 
tattle on me to Pastor Rob. In no way am I saying that God is telling you to kill yourself. No, no, no. God says he wants a living sacrifice. He doesn't want you to be a dead sacrifice, but nonetheless, he wants you to be a sacrifice. And Paul explains what he means by saying, present your bodies. That word present there would have brought up a picture in their minds. It spoke of the priests who would come into the temple and as they would lay the offering on the altar, the act of laying it down was known in those days as presenting the sacrifice. Paul is building this picture of what God desires from you and me. And it's not the next great thing we're going to do for him or the next great thing that we are going to accomplish. It is a great surrender to his will. And we have Paul and even Jesus demonstrating to this. Paul said to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God that loved me and gave himself for me. Do you hear what Paul is saying? He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Now you Bible students know, Paul wasn't actually crucified with Christ. He wasn't one of the two thieves that Christ was crucified in between. He is speaking spiritually that as Christ has died, so I have died to my will, to my ambition, to what I want to do. I have laid those things down as a sacrifice to God. And we don't just see it in the life of Paul. We see it in the life of even Jesus. Jesus explaining to the Pharisees that he lived differently than them. Jesus said to them in John 5, I of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. You know, sometimes when we hear Jesus, as we read Jesus say these things, there's a part of us that thinks, ah, he's exaggerating. I of myself do nothing. He must be exaggerating. Friends, this isn't you writing this book. This is Jesus being quoted in this book. Jesus doesn't exaggerate. When Jesus says, I of my own self do nothing, that's exactly what he meant because that's exactly what he did. I think what he's saying is this truth that the greatest life that was ever lived, the life of Jesus, was a life that was never lived at all because it was lived in submission to the will of another. The greatest life that ever lived was a life that was never lived at all. It was lived in submission to another. Jesus says, though he had all the capabilities, he could have made every decision correctly. He said, I don't do my own will. I listen and I hear what the Father is leading me to do and it is that will that I am committed to. And friends, what Paul is saying to the Galatians, what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, I think is his heart for you and I. 
So often we hear a message of commitment. We think, God, you, you'll see, you'll see 2024 is going to be the year. I'm going to really commit myself. And if I fail by February, well, then I'm going to recommit my recommitment to you and then recommit that recommitment again. And God, you're going to see, we think that's what God wants, that he wants our great commitment. But if you hear nothing else, hear this. Paul is not saying he wants your great commitment. He wants your great surrender. He doesn't want a list of things you're going to do for him. He wants you to understand all that he has done for you and to surrender to his lordship in your life. God, where do you want to go? How do you want to do this? Not more effort, more surrender. And Paul says, it's the most reasonable thing you can do. You know, if this... If we lived in a church world where every church in the world heard the same sermon, I know we don't. But if we, if, we, if we were in that world and every church was hearing this sermon this morning, you know in most American churches, not here, but in most American churches, they would be listening going, wow, that's radical. Surrender all that I am and all I ever will be to God? What about my rights? What about my rights to health and happiness? What about what I want to do? What kind of message is this, pastor? What about what I want? That's, to be honest, where a lot of the American church would be, they would think, this is the most radical thing God is asking us to do. But you notice that's not what Paul says? Paul says taking your life and surrendering it to God is actually the most reasonable, is what Paul says. The most reasonable thing that you can do. This is how Christians are supposed to think. David Livingston, a great English missionary to Africa, believed this. In the mid-17th century, he was some of a well-known Englishman. He was captured by Algerian pirates and made a slave. And while a slave, he founded a church. And when his brother paid for his release, he refused his freedom, having vowed to remain a slave until he died in order to continue serving the church he had founded. And David Livingston wrote this in his journal. He said, people talk of the great sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called sacrifice, which is simply paid back as a small part of the great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? Is that sacrifice which brings its own reward of healthy activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and bright hope of a glorious destiny thereafter, away with such a word and such a view and such a thought? It is emphatically no sacrifice Say, rather, it is a privilege when compared to the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. You see, to be a living sacrifice, to say, God, it's not about what I want and where I want to go. I want to surrender everything to you. It seems in our Christian world to be the most radical call. Paul says it's the most reasonable thing we can do. I love to compare it this way. Let's say on the tip of your finger was a single grain of sand representing your life. And we all live relatively near the beach, right? You go to the beach and you, 
It takes thousands of grain of sand to even be significant in your hands. And you, you get rid of all of those and come to this one little grain of sand. You can hardly see it. Representing your life. And God says, here's the deal. I want you to take this one grain of sand representing your life. And I want you to surrender that, that grain of sand to me. That one little life to me. What am I going to get? I'm going to give you eternity filled with so many lifetimes. It's like the equivalent of the sand on every seashore in every part of the world there has ever been. All I want is this one little fleeting life. And it's fleeting. Amen? It goes by like a vapor. I know you young people in here are like, nuh-uh. I'm going to live forever. I've been you. I've been you. But here's what I know. I'm watching kids on stage this morning. I say kids who were in my youth group. And now they have kids that are as old as they were when I first met them. Which means I'm super old. This life is, and it's over. And God says, here's the deal. You surrender this this little fleeting life with all its problems and trials. You give it to me. I'm going to give you lifetimes of eternity of blessing. You see, when I see it that way, I go, well, here you go. Here you go. That is the most reasonable thing I have ever heard. It's not radical. We need to shake our brains out of this Western Christian reality that Christianity is about me and my happiness and my plans and my vision. And we need to rethink this, that we are servants of the living God who paid for us with his precious blood. And we exist to serve him. We take our little life and we give it to him. It's the most reasonable thing we can do. And if there's any of you today, that's like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Then next we get to the characteristics. What does it look like if we're actually going to do this? If we're actually going to take this one little life and surrender to the Lord, what does it look like? Well, verse (coughs) 2, excuse me, verse 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does it look like to take this one little life that I have and surrender it to the Lord? Well, well, the Lord gives you two things to do. One is a negative and one is a positive. Write them down, pray them in, think them through. The first one he tells you not what not to do If I'm going to surrender this one little life to God, the first thing I'm not to do is I'm not to be conformed to the world. The word conformed comes from the root word schema from which we get our English word scheme. You see, you have to understand, precious men and women, this world is controlled by the devil and it has a scheme. It has a plan to destroy everything good that God wants to do in your life. And the enemy will use whatever you want to give to him. He will use things that by themselves are fine. They're normal. They're natural. But if you want to surrender them to him, he'll use them to rip your life apart. 
I don't know whether you want to talk about movies or TV or music or social media. Again, on their own, they can be just fine. But if we allow them to be used by the enemy in our lives, they will tear apart everything good that God wants to do. You see, we can say, oh, I'm not affected by any of that stuff. It doesn't affect me. How ridiculous. Everything affects us in one way or another. So the question is, who's controlling the content? And once you figure that out, do you want that person to be the one controlling who you become? J.B. Phillips translated Romans 12 too as, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. The world and its system is trying to shape you in, in, in the way that who you are. Are you letting it? New Testament Greek scholar Kenneth Wiest put it this way as he translated Romans 12 too. He said, it says, stop assuming an outward expression which is patterned after this world, an expression which does not come from nor is representative of what you are in your inner being as a regenerate child of God. We are not to let this world squeeze us into its mold. We're not to let this world shape our priorities, our values, our actions, but instead the positive command. What are we to do instead of letting the world shape who we are? If we're truly gonna surrender this one little life to him, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I know you guys know this, but the word that Paul uses there translated into English as transformed is the Greek word metamorpho from where we get our word metamorphosis. And it's this picture you all know. You either learned it in school, you've seen it on the Discovery Channel, you've heard a pastor talk about it before. But this little caterpillar, and let's be honest, for most of us, unless you're a caterpillar lover, If a caterpillar was crawling on you, you would be like, oh, it's a fat worm. It's not a fat worm. It's a caterpillar. And this thing that just causes, it crawls up into a tree on a bush. It creates this cocoon around us, around it. And through this struggle, what comes out? This butterfly. This, the same creature that some of you precious ladies have a caterpillar crawled on you. Ah! Same creature goes through metamorphosis. It lands on your other shoulder and you're like, oh, I'm blessed of the Lord. A butterfly touched me and said hello. It's the same animal. Metamorphosized. Why is that important? Because some of you got some caterpillar tendencies. You go through this life, you look at how you respond to things, and it's like, oh. And if you think you're okay, I'm telling you, other people look at you and they go, oh. Oh, those attitudes and those actions. and oh. I need to be, you need to be metamorphosized into something different. Into something and someone that blesses people, that encourages people, that challenges people to walk with Jesus. And Paul says, that can happen. That can happen when I take my one little life that God has given me and I decide I'm not going to let the world squeeze me into its mold, but instead I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. 
See, instead of letting things squeeze me into the mold of the world that's bent on my destruction, instead I'm to set my mind and my heart and my eyes on things that will conform me into the image of the Lord. And what are those things? Well, here's where we go back to this today. One of those things is this book right here. Why do we go through this book chapter by chapter, verse by verse as a church? Because this book is the best way to be discipled into everything God wants you to be. That's why we're committed to this book. But, but most of you know, 45 minutes once a week for some of you, that's not enough. Because the world is plowing every single day into your brain. Which means every single day we need to have an encounter with God's word. In some way or some fashion that we sit before it and just say, God, speak into my life. Clean my heart from the things the world is trying to corrupt me with and give me a heart and a perspective and a passion that is uniquely yours. We are transformed as we get our minds and our hearts into the word of God. But it's not just the Bible. Worship. We just did to start off service here today. Something supernatural happens. When I get my eyes off of myself and my circumstances and I start to worship God, my eyes go to heaven and I realize his priorities and his heart for me and things are just lifted off my chest. Aren't they yours too? As we worship God together, worship is setting my mind on the things of the Spirit. Prayer is another way. Just to get along with God and talk about how my day is going and the week and saying, God, I just need to hear from you. I need you to lead me and guide me as we take time in his presence. God will transform us into who he wants us to be. <clears throat> Paul said this in Second Corinthians chapter 3. He said, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of God. As I lay down as a sacrifice and say, God, it's no longer about me and my ambition and my will. I want to submit to you and all that you have for me. I'm going to get in your word. I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm going to spend time in worship. I'm going to turn off the top 40 for a little bit and just get into worship. You will find by his spirit, he's going to shape you into the image that he desperately wants you to be. But the last thing I want to deal with today is why? Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to take this one life? I only have one life. It might be short, it might be fleeting. But why would I want to take that one life and submit it to him? We get told by the world that the best thing is to your own self be true. To be the captain of your own ship. The master of your own destiny. That if you are in charge, you can obviously chart the best course for yourself. But notice what Paul says to close this section. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Look at this. That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
Paul says, as I submit to him, I take this one life God gives to me, and I make a determination today, as I head into a brand new year, I am not going to be conformed by the world, but instead I'm going to be transformed by getting my mind in the word and prayer and worship. Paul says, your life will prove Your life will be a testimony that God's will is acceptable and good and perfect. Let me tell you right now, I I know some pastors believe this, but I don't think this is teaching there are three different wills of God. You know, if if you're carnal, you get the acceptable will of God. And God's like, all right, it's like my third choice, but okay, you can have the acceptable will. And if you're a little better, you get the goodwill of God. Oh, it's good, it's good. And if you're a real goody two-shoes, you get the perfect will of God. Eh, I don't think that's what this is saying. I think Paul was a pastor, and I've got some insights into how pastors think, because I've been one for 23 years. And pastors love to say the same thing three different ways. Have you ever realized that? If we just wouldn't, the messages would be so much shorter but we're never going to stop it because Paul showed us how to do it. You say the same thing three different ways. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying you surrender your life to God and your life will be a testimony that God's will is acceptable. No, it's good. No, it's perfect. He's telling you your life will prove that God's will is the best way to go. I know when I radically learned this, It was when I was a youth pastor here, many, many years ago. And there was this issue of my life. The Lord and I were doing so good. But there was this one issue of my life that he was telling me to surrender. And I'll be as transparent as I can today. I was like, no, I like that thing. I like it. It's not overtly bad. If I told someone about it, they'd be like, no, it's not a big deal. I know. I know it's not. Some people even call it freedom. God kept saying, "Mm, for some people it is. For you, it's a weight that needs to go. I kept fighting. And I'll tell you, here was my rationale. God, everything is so good. Got an awesome wife and a couple of great kids. The ministry, ooh, you're blessing it. There was almost 300 kids in our high school ministry. I was like, whoa, God's obviously blessing. Obviously. (laughs) It's not a big deal. Everything is so good. And that year we were taking the high school guys hiking in Yosemite. And we got to Yosemite Valley, if you've ever been there, there's that place called Tunnel View, where you drive through that, that long tunnel, just bore right into the side of the mountain, and you see the entire Yosemite Valley. And we pulled the vans over and got the guys out of the car, and we were sitting there just looking at this valley. And I was talking to my assistant at the time, a pastor you guys know, his name's Phil McKay. And he was standing right next to me, and, and I said, man, isn't this one of the most beautiful places in the world? Pastor Phil put his arm around me and he said, yeah, it's great. But can you imagine what this place is going to look like when all creation is fully surrendered to God? And he walked away. 
And I was like, Jesus? <laughs> Listen, Phil's one of my best friends. I lo- we talk to this day. That's not the kind of stuff that at that time normally came out of his mouth. Normally it was like, football, football, Notre Dame. Like that, that was normally what came out of his mouth. And he puts his arm around me and he's like, imagine how great this valley is going to be. And it's fully surrendered to God's will. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. Because he was right. As impressive as tunnel view is, as impressive as I thought what was going on in my life was, God says, you have no idea what it looks like when things are fully surrendered to me. And I want to share that with you, precious men and women, because sometimes we're just fine with our own mediocrity. We're just fine with this this state that we're in. And don't get me wrong. God loves you just like you are. You're saved because Jesus died on a cross for you and your simple belief. You, You know what we're talking about today, right? We're not talking about becoming someone that God really loves like me. Stop that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being settling for our own mediocrity because we're unwilling to see what our life would fully look like if it was fully surrendered to the Lord. But God says to you, I tell you what it's going to look like. It's not going to look just good and acceptable. It's going to be perfectly exactly what God wants. You see, as we step into 2024 tomorrow, I know for many of us, Oh, got to get back to the gym. Got to cut down on those donuts. Oh, I got to eat better, think better, pray better, all that stuff. Amen. Great. I think God would challenge you. I just want you to surrender to me that loves you more than you can possibly imagine. I just want you to surrender to the one that knows best for your life more than you can even dream. And I want you to do it by taking the one little fleeting life that, that you're not very good at being in control of anyways, by the way. Let's just be honest. And I want you to take this one little life and just say, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to go, however you want to do it. And I want to see that worked out in my life by not making a decision. I will not conform myself to the things of this world, but instead I'm going to be renewed in my brain by being in the word and being in prayer and being in worship. Because God, I want this next year to be a living demonstration of what your perfect will really looks like. I think that's God's heart for us. And I think his last thing for us today is to say, once you get up on that altar this afternoon, tomorrow, I know you're good church people. You're gonna hear it. You wrote it down doing this. Praise God. But the one problem with a living sacrifice is it can crawl off that altar. Be determined to stay. and Let God work his perfect will in your life in this amazing year that is right ahead of us. Amen? Amen. 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 Father, thank you so much for the privilege it is to come home 
and to share with the church that just shaped me into everything that I am. God, it's such a privilege to see friends and faces and so many people that that my family and I have deep relationships with. But God, today isn't just about friends and family. Today, like every day we gather in church, it's about you speaking into our lives. And I want to pray, first of all, for anyone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray today would be the day they would surrender everything to you. Talk about figuring out what is God's will for you. God's will for you is for you to be saved. And the good news is God did all the work. He died on the cross. He paid the penalty. All he's asking you to do is to believe on him, to believe that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again. Paul told the Romans, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you want to enter into a relationship with God today, you just tell him, I believe in you. I am tired of running from you. I just want to submit all I am to you. I promise you. I promise he will hear that prayer. But God, for the vast majority of us in the room who do know you and love you, of all that we are determined to do in the year that is ahead, God, I pray our commitments would be biblical, that we would be committed to submit to you the greatest love we have ever had, the one that wants the greatest good for us. May we submit to you by not allowing our minds to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds in your word. Proving that your will is perfect. God, let it be by the power of your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.